So we've got to go straight into the message for uh, this morning. Last week we spoke about um, uh, this, the start of our Mad, Sad, Glad series. We spoke about the sad emotions, right? Everyone remember that? Those that were here, it's on the podcast. We spoke about how sad emotions are there to, um, in a way, demotivate us to do stuff in order that we can deliberate, we can think about um, what, what is really going on and, and how we want to act and all of that. Today, we are going to kind of go and switch into in a way, the opposite kind of effect, um, uh, emotion, emotion that ha- opposite emotion that has an opposite effect on us. Uh, because, you know, literally sadness makes us feel a little bit lethargic, doesn't it? It makes us feel a little bit long. So we're going to talk about the mad emotions because the mad emotions make us go, Rah! literally, the mad emotions activate us. The mad emotions literally heats us up and gets us ready for action. The mad emotions activates what is called the fight and flight response in our bodies, which means that the blood goes away from some of our organs and goes into the very big muscles um, of our bodies that I'm representing amazingly, <laughs> and it pumps us up uh, so that our muscles are ready to go. You will even possibly notice that your muscles start twitching a little bit when you're angry. Why? Is because they are ready to go. They are kind of like on that edge of, of explosion. And, um, you know, our breath gets more shallow because we're trying to get in more oxygen as much as we can. And all of these things are all happening so that your body is completely activated. You know, I remember one moment in my life where I recognized that my body was activated in this way. I was a youth leader. I was in youth ministry. Our youth group uh, was filled with um, rough kids. We were in a really rough neighborhood. And um, and one of these nights, I saw this group of boys, which, by the way, were all technically my boys, because I looked after the year 8s to 10s, and I saw my boys uh, forming a little circle, and two of them in the middle about to go to town on each other. All right, it was somewhat normal, and, um, and I suddenly felt my body like activated. And um, in particular, I actually recognized in that moment, ooh, I was getting lightheaded because that's technically what can happen. The blood goes away from the brain and into the muscles. And so I was feeling a bit lightheaded. But in that moment, I made a snap decision that I needed to do something about this. I was angry with them. I thought that they were idiots, as I thought many times, but I also loved them greatly. And so I love these idiots greatly. And, um, <laughs> and I waded into the center. Uh, they were eight, eight, year eight to ten, so most of them were a little bit shorter than me. And uh, so I was still thinking that I had the authority there. Uh, I waded into the center. Uh, I, I uh, walked towards the guy that I knew a little bit more than the other one, and I literally just put my arm out. I didn't grab him. I just pushed him onto a wall and shouted to his face, calm down. <laughs> How many people know that that is the best way to calm someone down? I shouted three times, calm down, calm down, calm down, and he just looked at me, and then he walked away. <laughs> it worked, right? So... I was pumped up, ready for action. I sprung into action. My body got me going. I knew that in an instant I needed to do something, which is what anger is 
supposed to do. That's the purpose of this activation. It tells us that something is not right and that we are going to have to do something to correct it. Uh, uh, for me, I knew that them punching up is not right. I don't want to fight on my hands. I don't want to let this escalate any further. I needed to do something about that. And uh, my anger made me feel perhaps more powerful than I really was when there was possibly about 10 of them that could take me down. <laughs> but I did something. My anger got me ready to do something. But here's a question that we're going to need to ask ourselves when it comes to anger. It activates us to make a wrong right. But how do we evaluate what is right? That's a very key question when it comes to anger. What is it that we are trying to make right? How do we know what is right? And so today, we're going to go into two questions um, that are going to help you determine what is right and how to make things right. But before I do so, I want to talk about this whole idea of catching yourself when you're angry. You see, anger is one of those emotions that we call hot emotions. It is like a fire. And hot emotions are very dangerous because when they get activated, they run and they go and they don't stop until they burn whatever fuel that they found, right? That's what a fire does. So anger and fire, very similar. And so when we uh, are able to catch our anger, we are able to make decisions for that movement of the anger, if you will, um, so that the anger is well-directed. And so that is why we need to catch ourselves getting angry. Like I mentioned in um, that story, that was possibly one of the first times it was so clear to me that when I get that kind of lightheaded, that's me angry. All of us have got a specific way that your body reacts that you will know that you are angry. For me, that lightheadedness was, was uh, uh, an anger that was specifically like, I, I, I'm going to do something right now. It was a really right now kind of anger. Um, and, and I've recognized more recently uh, less of the lightheadedness because I think I've learned how not to kind of explode into those places. I've never really needed to explode into that kind of a way. But I find, uh, I find a little shaking in my, in my leg. Like, I, like there's a jitteriness that comes into my body uh, when, when I'm in a, a space where something has made me quite angry and, and, and I'm, I'm just like, I need to say something, I need to do something. Me catching those signs immediately helps me to go, I'm angry. I'm feeling angry. I might have a right to be angry. I might not have a right to be angry. I might, whatever. I am angry. That is just it. At least I'm able to catch it, and then I'm able to direct it. And we need to learn how to do that because, like I said, anger moves very quickly. And so, kind of like a fire... kind of like a fire, we are able to direct it based on what, how we are you know, scaffolding it, where we're putting the flame, where, where is being moved towards. And so when it comes to anger, there are two ways or two extremes that are very unhelpful. There is the extreme of over-repression, and then the other extreme is over-expression. 
Overexpression, which we are all kind of really familiar with because we kind of understand that easily, right? Overexpression is me pushing that anger out towards someone else. And we're going, you are making me angry. You, and, and we know what happens there. For some people, they literally will push the flame into another person. They'll hit them, they'll punch them, they'll call them names, whatever it is, abusive kind of a way. That is what an over-expression of anger does. It pushes the fire outside. It hurts other people very literally. However, on the other side of the spectrum, there is an over-repression where the person actually turns the fire onto themselves. As Christians... I think many of us think that that's what we're supposed to do. Because we think that fire, dangerous, I might as well hurt myself instead of hurting other people. It's like, well, really? You see, what we learn about this over-repression of anger is that we end up burning ourselves. And when a person is burned, they become really hurtful. (laughs) That's what we do. Uh, You know, if you think that passive aggressiveness is okay, you're probably a repressed person. You being all snide and sarcastic with other people and trying to take them down without them really knowing, you've been burnt. You are over-repressed and it's not helping anyone. What we need to do with anger is that we need to put it in the right context in order that it doesn't burn people, but it illuminates the situation. That literally is the purpose of anger. The Bible puts it this way, Ephesians 4, 26, in your anger, do not sin. It does not say, do not have anger. It says, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, don't turn the flame onto yourself or onto onto other people. The Bible is not a book of self-flagellation. You get what I mean? We are not meant to be whipping ourselves into shape. The Bible is really clear that we're really bad at self-discipline anyway. And so the Bible is not saying that you need to whip yourself into shape in order that you are loved by God. The Bible is all about how we can understand uh, who we are in the light of how God has created us and the life that God has given to us in order that we can live in a certain way. And so when we take this flame and we burn ourselves or we burn other people, the Bible considers it sin. In fact, when Jesus speaks on this topic of anger in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26, we don't have time to read it all, but Jesus basically says that, you know that murder is bad? Let me tell you something. Anger, if you have anger that is unresolved, it is the same as murder. Because Jesus is saying the same thing about murder, murder is hurting other people, and it is taking that flame. Anger is about taking that flame when it is overexpressed or overrepressed. So we need to learn to catch our anger, which is very physical, is one of those emotions that is the easiest to catch emotionally, uh, sorry, physically, because we can actually feel it. So next time you're angry, take note. What is it that I'm feeling physically? Slow down and think, how's my breath? Is my breath really... (laughs) That's what Sam does. Um, you know, or, or, or do you get lightheaded like me? Or, or do you start to get the shakes? Or what is it? Is there a tightening in the throat? What is that physical sensation that helps us to catch it? Because when you are able to catch it, you're able to place it in the right context that it can illuminate instead of burn. All right? 
So that's where we come to the two questions that we are to ask ourselves in understanding uh, I- I what, what anger is trying to illuminate. What anger is trying to illuminate is um, two key things, protection and restoration. Anger is for the purpose of protection and restoration. I find for myself that this is, when I was doing the research, I, I found it quite fascinating because I realized that I always go towards protection, but not restoration. When I, when I was thinking about those boys and the context of the youth ministry, I thought that I was protecting them from having a fight. And so I waited in and I pushed them away, and, and that was all that, that was. But there was still something going on inside of me. There was still that residual anger. Why? Because my heart was that these boys would, we put on a safe space for them to grow and to learn and to buck uh, the trend of violence in their lives. We wanted better for them. We wanted to see more for them and them continuing what they saw in the outside world in my youth ministry was really a, a, a dagger in the heart. It was like, why are you doing this? We put so much effort to break that and you bring it in here. And my heart in that moment was to see restoration of their souls. It wasn't that I was wanting to push them away. It wasn't that I was trying to uh, um, be all high and mighty or exert power over them. My heart was that they would be restored into how into godly relationships, into a good place. And so by them doing that, it activated my anger, which was telling me, Nate, you really want to protect them and you want to see them restored. I didn't know that. When I was younger, I was just like, oh, let's just break the fight up so that we don't have to do incident reports, right? So, uh, uh, but there was so much more that was going on. And so what we're going to do now is that, um, sorry, back up. So two questions we must learn to ask ourselves. Question one, what must be protected? Question two, very easy, what must be restored? What must be protected and what must be restored? The two questions. Let's go to Exodus 32, and here we find an account of God angry. Now, the Bible isn't written as a book about emotional health. Let's just put it out there. The Bible wasn't written to teach us about psychology. It wasn't uh, written to teach us about how to use our finances. It wasn't uh, written to teach us how to parent, but it contains lots of wisdom. It uh, contains lots of accounts that when we learn, like for example, in this case, through social sciences about how we actually function and how we work, we can bring that truth and we can see what the truth of the Bible is saying and we can learn something really cool from there. And so when we see an account of God angry, what's really interesting to me is like, how does God handle his anger? And in Exodus 32, God is angry. This is not a nice account. Let me tell you what happened. God had rescued Israel from Egypt, got them out of slavery, um, and, and then sustained them through a trek in the wilderness, uh, giving them food, water, clothing, and then they get to this place called Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where they start to um, really set up a covenant, a, 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 a deep uh, commitment to one another that they would be God's people and God would be their God. 
uh, uh, some um, scholars likens it to a marriage ceremony. When they get to Sinai, they are saying, basically, let's get married. Pretty deep commitment there. Uh, not pretty. It's a very deep commitment that's being made there. However, Moses goes up onto Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, which is, I don't know, maybe in that analogy is kind of like receiving the wedding ring. And as he goes up and he spends a bit of time with God, the rest of the Israelites who have already committed to God, they made an idol. And they made an idol that looked like a cow. And then they worshipped that cow and said, this is the God that brought me out of Egypt. And so scholars look at that episode and say, you know what it's like? It's like Israel committed adultery with God on the night of their wedding. This is a time where God has every right to be angry. I just want to set the scene for you. And so we find ourselves in Exodus 32, verses 9 to 14, and this is what it says. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Now, when I read this previously, it freaks me out that God's anger will want to destroy a whole people. But now that I understand a bit more about anger and the whole idea of overexpression and over-repression, uh, God's actually showing us that when we speak up out of our anger without necessarily going through with it, it can be good. That's expression, people. If God can say, I'm really angry, I want to kill you all, why is it that us as Christians, we need to be nicer than God? Just putting it out there. Now, God didn't go to every single Israelite, I want to kill you, and I want to kill you, and I want to kill you. No, God went to Moses, the one person that he trusted out of everyone, and said, I want to kill them. Right? So the expression of anger is something that's actually extremely healthy in the right space. We need to get better if we want to have a good, regulated relationship with ourselves and our emotions, we need to learn how to express our anger. Some of you think that you are more in control or stronger because you don't have that. No, you're burning yourselves. You are hurting yourselves, which will lead to you hurting other people. We need to learn how to be vulnerable and go to places. I, I mean, I, this is kind of strange that God would express anger in this way. Why would he go to another human being and say, I'm really angry and I want to kill them all? It does my head in, but it shows me that maybe I just don't understand anger as well as God does. So what happens next is that Moses then is able to, with the expressed anger, have a conversation with God. So what did they say? But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that you brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. 
This is really important here. When we express anger, it gives us a chance to examine what that anger is saying to us. Remember that when anger is activated in us, what happens to the blood in our brain? It leaves. We have less mental faculty when we are in the heat of anger. So we have limited options that pop into our head when we are angry, which means that the first idea that pops into your head when you're angry is probably not a really great thought-through option. How many people have done that before? You were angry, you said or did something in that anger, and you went, oh, I really regret that. Why? It's because we are not thinking well when we are in that space. However, to acknowledge the anger is to actually say, anger, you're not going to control me. You're not going to make me do the first thing that comes to mind. So what God does in this really uh, interesting account is that instead of doing it, He says it. I really want to hurt them for what they did. And then upon thinking and upon being able to calm down, he's able to go, I'm, but I'm not going to do it. I want to, but I'm not going to. So what we need to do when the anger is illuminated is that we need to express it, we need to see it, we need to uh, listen to it, and then we need to go, okay, is that really the best option? For God, he had Moses, a trusted person that was able to reflect to him, God, you acting in that way is not really protecting what is really important, and neither is it really restoring what is important. If you do it that way, you're actually going against what is important to you. And that is a really important thing. I remember when I was studying psychology many years ago, we had a community psych come in to share a little bit about her experience working in a community, and she spoke about working with the police in domestic violence cases. And these were really, really, really tough cases where the cops were called to a house because there is a person who is literally in that moment being violent. Maybe they've got a weapon, but we know that lives are threatened in that moment. And this community psych said, the one thing, the one question that always works never fails to work when I go into a house where violence is being perpetrated. It said, they will look into the perpetrator's eyes and say, what's most important to you? It said, without fail, the person will literally say, my family. My family. My family is most important to me. They would drop the weapon, they would go with the cops, and they would leave that place without committing further harm. Because in the heat of the anger, they are working out of the heat of the anger, expressing it, over-expressing it, and hurting other people. But when someone was able to say, hey, 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 let's put that anger there, what's most important to you? They were able to go, hang on, my actions are not lining up with what is important to me. See, one researcher puts it this way, the real cause of a person's anger is found in their beliefs. The real cause of a person's anger is found in their beliefs. It is not found in something external, it's always within. 
It helps to illuminate what is going on within. Even though the action might be external, someone else is doing something that is making you angry. Why it's making you angry is because it is stirring up what is important to you. And so when we are asking the questions of what must I protect and what must I uh, uh, um, restore, what I'm looking at is like, this is important to me. So what am I trying to protect and what am I trying to restore? One thing I found about my anger, especially when it's in a, a relationship with someone, is that when I'm really angry, the first thing I want to do is to push the person away. Right? I'm not the only person, right? All of you get angry, right? We push. That's the first response because it's like, you're doing something I don't like. We push. But then when we get a moment, we've got to think, is pushing this person away really what is important to me? And I realize that in that moment, I'm always trying to protect myself, which is okay. It's a good response sometimes. But after pushing away, we've got to ask ourselves, is this action really protecting what is important? And is it restoring what is important? I've learned recently that when I do that, I end up more angry after a while because I want restoration in that relationship. My initial reaction is not really satisfying what is important to me. And so when God is saying, I want to destroy these people, He means it because they have committed adultery on their wedding night. And it's crazy. It is painful. It's hurtful. But then with Moses, he was able to go, but me pushing them away is not really protecting what is important to me. It's not really restoring what is important to me. Let me just make a quick note here. Just because you want to protect something and restore something doesn't mean that it's protectable or restorable. We just have to have that understanding that that's what I'm trying to do. You know, one of the things that Beck and I have spoken about recently is that our jobs as pastors um, is a job that constantly brings sadness and anger. It also brings a lot of joy and it brings a lot of other emotions, but we work with people, and it's a job that requires us sometimes to be in a space where we are hurt or feel hurt or get angry with people. And when I realize the more I go through my ministry and the more I mature and I go, I actually have a real heart for people and I want to protect and I want to restore them, I've started to realize that there are times and moments where that helps me to shift into a gear of protection and restoration of what is truly important. But sometimes I've also realized that I'm in a place where I can't protect and restore someone because they don't want me to. And that can be a very difficult thing to understand. But for me, I'm realizing, me acknowledging what is important to me helps me at the very least to choose my actions and not just be driven by anger. Don't allow anger to drive you. Use anger to illuminate what is important. And so that's really where anger is. We need to learn how to ask. We need to learn how to catch it, place it into the right context, and then ask ourselves, what must I protect and what must I restore? We don't have, um, we're running out of time, 
But I just want to quickly just jump on to Exodus 33. Please read this by yourself. Please read Exodus 32 and 33. It's a really fascinating account. Exodus 33, Moses and God continues their negotiation. It doesn't stop in Exodus 32. It doesn't just stop there. Um, uh, there actually, at the end of Exodus 32, there is punishment that takes place um, um, uh, for those Israelites that, 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 that were the leaders of this revolt. Um, and then in Exodus 33, we continue to have this back and forth. The first part of it is where God actually tells Moses, okay, you know what? I did promise to bring the Israelites to the promised land. I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to leave them. At least I fulfilled my promise. <laughs> and God is kind of like trying to find a way in between all that is going on. I still want to be a God of my word, but you know what? I don't really want to hang out with these people. And then, and then Moses is like, please don't, God, because if your presence doesn't go with us, we are not. That's where that, 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 that verse is. Your presence doesn't go with us. We, we, we don't want to go. <laughs> and, and, and that's in that context, by the way. So a really difficult prayer if you want to say it, because it means that you've committed adultery against God. But anyway, let's talk about context. But anyway, the whole chapter of 33 is about this negotiation that God is having with Moses, except for verses 7 to 11. Right in the middle of this chapter, we have this weird little passage that doesn't make sense in the context of what is going on. It is called the tent of meeting. <clears throat> and so, in the middle of this negotiation, uh, um, Moses, who lightly wrote this passage, wrote, now, Moses had set up this tent where he would go to in order to meet with God. And when he would go to meet with God, he would bring Joshua, his aide, with him. And then uh, Moses would step into the tent. A pillar of cloud would come down, which represented that God was meeting with Moses. And then they would speak, and then Moses would leave. And then Joshua would stay because he still loved God's presence. The tent of meeting. This beautiful picture of God uh, partnering, having this intimacy with people. In the middle of this chapter about negotiation on whether God was going to destroy the Israelites, what's that all about? It confused me for a long time until I started to think about it in terms of anger and in terms of what was really going on. In the middle of this negotiation, Moses gives us an insight into God's heart, that his heart is never to push us away, even though sometimes consequences are important, but his heart is always intimacy. In the middle of this negotiation, what is God really trying to protect and restore? An intimacy with His people. Some of us don't understand God's anger very well. We've got all sorts of weird cultural expectations on how God's anger works. But even in the Old Testament, where God is most angry, His anger, yes, is expressed because that's healthy, people. And then he realizes, or I don't know if I want to say that God realizes, but then he comes back to this place of what is really important to me is this intimacy. I want to point something out. In the Old Testament, pre-Jesus, God's anger was to, in the light of really disastrous circumstances, was to remove himself. In the New Testament, we read a very important verse that says that while we were still sinners, while we were still 
adulterous to God's covenant with us, while we were still against God in our actions, while we were still hurting God through what we are doing, while we were still sinners, what does God do? He was the one that died for our sins. When we understand that the wrath of God, the anger of God is because of sin and because of things that are done that hurts people, that yes, the natural consequence is death. And then in the New Testament, we read that while we were still sinners, Christ died for me. That has to be a pivotal way of us understanding how God deals with His anger. God doesn't get angry with you now in a way that will cause a bolt of lightning to come on your head. I mean, if he really chooses to, perhaps he can. I'm not going to say what he can and can't do, but the biblical revelation of how God deals with his anger is through Jesus on the cross. The consequence was taken by Jesus on the cross. The consequence was taken by Jesus on the cross. Why? Because God chose not to protect himself, not to protect the picture, his perfect picture of how humanity should be, but he chooses to protect our relationship with him. And then he chooses to restore our relationship with him. We can get the band up this morning. Does God feel anger? Yes. Does God give consequences? Yes. But the primary way he chooses to do so is to restore intimacy with his people. For you, I hope that this morning has at least been helpful in you understanding anger and maybe clearing up some misconceptions about how we deal with anger. But then from there, I hope that we are coming back to this place because I think many people struggle with their relationship with God because they don't know how to deal with an angry God. And so we can just close our eyes this morning. I just want to say a prayer. If, that's, if this is speaking to you, if this is for you, just receive it. God, I pray that you help us to understand your deep, deep, deep love for us. That you would choose to protect us and to bring restoration to our relationship with you at the cost of your own life. I pray that that means something to us. I pray that we don't take that lightly because you could have chosen a, another route very easily. But God, you choose through your word to reveal that this is what you have already done. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that none should perish but have eternal life. And God, I pray that if any of us are far away from you, if any of us are scared of you, if any of us are pushing away from you, I pray that we will learn how to protect and restore that relationship. We will learn how to bring our anger to a good place that illuminates rather than hurts. 
But God, I pray that you have also called us to live in relationship with one another. And so God, you told us that if we are still holding unresolved anger with people, that you want us to pursue restoration. So God, where possible, God, I pray that you help us to find the strength to forgive. You help us to find the strength to bring restoration where possible, God. And through that, we will find life and life abundantly in you. We thank you, God. Pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.